Lord. Thank you for your word being opened. Um, we are souls. You could say we have a soul. You could say we are a soul. Uh, we are a person who will last forever. And that, uh, that just like kind of cuts against the way that our lives run day to day. We have to live for temporary things. And we actually choose to live often for temporary things when we could live for eternal things. So um, I just ask that there be a moment uh, in the room today as we learn from your word, as your word is open to us. Lord, let us, uh, let us have open hearts, but let us also have curiosity. Let us not hear these things as if we've heard them a million times before, but hear it fresh. Uh, your word is living and active. It pierces the heart. So, Lord, I pray that your word would slice right down the middle of us today, that it would cut us open, that it would do some heart surgery, that we walk out of here different than we came in. Lord, if anyone doesn't really know your word yet, if they're getting to know it, man, just invite them into the joys of these uh, green pastures. Praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So I'm uh, preaching again. You're like, why is he up there? Well, uh, okay, we're preaching twice. So... Um, no, I, someone was like, oh, are you preaching again? I was like, yeah, is that okay? Um, I don't know if it, there's a backup plan. There's no plan B at this point. So here we go. Uh, hey, we've been doing this series out of a book called Get Your Life Back. Curiosity, is anyone reading that in small groups? Good book. Um, I actually was skeptical at first. Uh, Pastor Jason asked me to read through it with him. I read through it. And, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And I had some skeptical things to say about it. And then uh, it just like worked on me, or a week, and another week, and another week, and then I actually had to go back and read it again, and I was like, man, I have not barely scratched the surface of the spiritual life that the guy has who wrote this book. Um, it was easy to despise, easy to overlook, but I think that's why Jason, Pastor Jason asked us to spend time in this. And so what we've done is we've gone through, so far, eight practices. You'll find them at the end of our time together today up on some tables. Uh, there's actually ten, because we're going to do two more today. But these practices were meant to be an invitation into spiritual life. Uh, everybody, everybody wants to be spiritual in some way, I find. When you talk to people, everyone wants to have some kind of spirituality, be spiritual in some sense. Uh, most of us don't necessarily like the implications when it comes to being spiritual with Jesus. He kind of asks a lot, it feels like sometimes. But these practices, why are we spending the time on them? Because it's not meant to feel like a lot. It's meant to be a joy. It's meant to be an invitation. Here's the thing about church. Church is not a routine. Technically speaking, it's a routine, right? Like it's good to make it a routine. Hey, I'm here every week. But it's not a routine. Technically, biblically, church is a renewal and it's a revival. You ever hear about revivals where like people get lit on fire in the whole, well, spirit-wise, you know, like they're like so pumped and they're fired up and they're like, let's go. That's a revival, and we talk about it, we pray for it. You'll hear the church and its churchiness pray for revival. Guess where revival starts? With a heart, a single heart, and then another single heart, and then another. Church is not meant to be routine. It's meant to be revival. It's meant to actually be revelation. It's meant to be this experience of revolution that actually makes us different than the culture. So we're not just a pure product of culture, pure product of nature and upbringing, but we actually are a product of the Word of God. We actually become not even a product. That's like a consumer term. We actually become a living organism like we're meant to be. 
Not like a dying organism, not a stale organism, not a boring creature, but actually a creature that is wide awake, alive, alert. Here we go. Jesus, where do you want me to go? Like, does that sound good and does that sound like you? Or do we sound kind of, kind of day to day? There is quietness to the journey, but there is meant to be revolution. There is meant to be revelation. There is meant to be revival in the heart. So we're spending some time on it as a church, and I want it to be a, an opportunity for each of us individually to wake up. There's meant to be a trajectory to your life. Maybe ask that. Like, think about it for a second. Where is my life going? Okay, heaven, yes, I want to get to heaven someday. But then does your life look like a trajectory of growth towards a heavenliness? Like, are you being changed more and more into the image of God where you're more and more reflecting him, more and more in relationship, confident, where if someone asked you who you are and what you believe, you'd have joy come into your eyes. Go figure. What if Christians were joyful about Jesus, guys? What? That would be a revolution in the culture. You're like, ah, okay, those Christians, man, they sure are marked by joy. It depends on the day. We're like anybody else. But there's an invitation. So I got two more practices I want us to consider before we bring it home. And we save these for the end because one is meant to kind of let us take a deep breath. And the other is meant to kind of lay the groundwork, make it simple, make clear what we're really doing here. So two of them. Number one, kindness to ourselves. And when I read this chapter, this was the chapter I skimmed over. I was like, come on. Kindness to ourselves. Like... Eat, pray, love. Here we go. Maybe you like that movie. I never saw the movie, but we make fun of it. Anyways, it's like, it's like kindness to ourselves. It's like, who needs to be kind to themselves? I need to kick my butt. I'm a problem. Like, I need to get in gear. Kindness to ourselves. I would put it another way. Kindness to your soul. Here's the truth. You have a soul. Or as C.S. Lewis says, no, you don't even just have a soul. You are a soul. And so your day-to-day life affects you at levels that you and I can barely even comprehend or imagine. Listen to Psalm 23. I know you've heard it before. Put that up on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Can any of us even relate to that statement? I shall not want. Like I'm not lacking anything. I have everything I need. It's like kind of a far cry from the way I live. I don't know. I shall not want. He makes me. Here's how I don't lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So you have the Lord, Yahweh. He's a shepherd. You have him leading a group of people. And in this instant, it's a single person who's confessing this. Hey, I'm just following the Lord. And man, I have everything I need because he actually makes me. He forces me. He causes me to lay down in a green pasture. You're a sheep. That's the sheep language, right? Like I'm laying down, I'm eating the grass. Man, I have all that I need. Here's all my food. He leads me beside still waters. Oh, I can quench my thirst. Wow, praise the Lord. Okay, so like I get it. I'm fed, I'm watered. Uh, he restores my soul. Like at some core level, he's restoring my life. He's renewing me. This is the spiritual life when you walk with Yahweh. We walk with Jesus, walk with Yeshua. This is like the invitation. So back to us living this life, what's the first thing maybe? How do you be kind to yourself? I'm just going to try to keep this one simple. First, recognize that you have a soul, that you are a soul. 
Like when you're cranking through the day and it was a terrible day, it was a little bit traumatic because kids, other kids like didn't really seem to like you in school today. Or like it's been a series, it's been a few months since you really had good friends. Or like you got home and you had a blow up argument with your spouse. Or honestly, you don't really see a purpose to living. You're just kind of going through the motions. Do you see that if you have a soul, if you are a soul, those things are going to affect you in a deep way? And you're going to need to go to someone to restore you, to take care of you. If I went home and blew up on my, blew up, had a blowout, well, that's a poopy diaper anyways. Gosh, why does this happen to me? Anyways, uh, if I have, a, if I blow up on, on Lydia, if I have a hard moment with her, argument with her, that's going to be hard on her soul, but it's going to be hard on mine too, and it's actually going to put some distance between me and the Lord, and when I come and confess to the Lord, you know that I'm going to feel kind of guilty, right, and there's going to be some shame, and I'm going to have to like deal with what I said to Lydia. Can you relate to that? Can you picture that? That is affecting my what? My soul, or you could say your heart, if that's how you want to think of it, the internal you. What this means is you and I are not just chemical systems. We're not simply mechanical. For, this, for the sake of medicine and, and illness and healing bodies, we often have to speak in a mechanical way about the body, understand it as just kind of a basic chemical organism. But we know that there's more to us, right? We have to recognize that I am a soul, and this world is beating the tar out of me. I am a soul, and I am not feeling as alive as I want to. I am a soul, and there is something missing. I am not sufficient in myself. Ah, I am a soul, and I just want to, ah, like, ah. Evie, our little daughter, has been doing that lately. You know, she'll be like, hey, can I da-da-da the garbage can? And we'll be like, no, Evie, that's not good. And she'll be like, ah, okay. Hey, uh, I want that cup. I want it right now. We'll be like, Evie, be patient, please. Ah, okay. It's this groan sigh. I don't know where she learned it, but I'm like, keep doing that, Evie, because you have a soul and you have emotions. They're not good to bury in the ground stuff and move on. When you get to be an adult, you'll be tempted to do that every single day because you have to survive and get through. Here's the thing. When I stop being kind to my soul, what does that look like? Let's just make it super practical. When I stop being kind to my soul, well, uh, I start to obey the whims of this dead, foolish flesh of mine. I start to think, you know what I need tonight? I need to sit up and binge watch this thing that I've been binge watching, and it kind of like made me smile a few times, or it made me laugh even, but then I still went to bed as tired as I was before I watched it. Is that kind to your soul? Absolutely not. Kindness to, when I'm not kind to my soul, I put other people's opinions of me as the dominant narrative in my brain. Is that kind to your soul? When you sit there and loop and think about what someone said, or you loop and think about how you're going to get back at somebody for what they said. Kind to your soul? No. You, you picking up what I'm saying here? You have a soul. You are a soul. There's an internal environment to you. You are not made to live for other people. You're not made to live for their opinions. You're not made to live just in the pursuit of satisfaction of your own fleshly pleasure. You're actually made for what? To worship God. You're made to be laying down in his green pastures. You're made to be drinking from his still waters. Tracking? 
I have a soul. First truth. Second truth to go with it. I have to hear the invitation. I have to hear the invitation to live forever. Right? Like I can't just settle down in this world and make it my home. I have to like start to think, man, I'm invited to a forever kind of life. I'm invited to actually be a forever creature. And if you're thinking, man, like when I get to heaven, it's going to be so completely different from everything I experienced down here, you're right. But also if you're thinking, it's, I'm going to be so completely different from everything I experienced down here, false. This is meant to be right now a current experience. If you're following Jesus, you're already supposed to be tasting, getting tastes of the banquet. Anyone ever been to Costco? And they have samples. And if it's a really good sample, what do you do? I do it almost every time. I go buy the thing because I want more. Like, you should want heaven because you're already tasting the sample, right? Like, Holy Spirit with a hairnet is like, here you go. Here's the, here's the little cod. It's all beer battered and fried. And you're like, no, no. She's like, it's my job. Here, well, Holy Spirit, anyways, not girl. Anyways, here we go. Here you go. And you're like, okay, you take it. Oh, yum. And then you're feasting on it. And then you're like, where is it? She's like, door 13. And you're like, down you go. Heaven. Yes. So much better. But I had a taste of it before and I knew it was going to be good. Tracking? I am a soul. I have a soul. And I hear this invitation to forever. Take a deep breath and breathe it out. Oh, I want that. Here's the thing about being traumatized by this world. I believe everyone gets a little bit traumatized by life in this world. Not trying to make us weak, but yes, I am trying to make us weak if it makes us call out on the Lord. Here's the thing about being traumatized by the world is you start to just give up. I've been wondering, why were the disciples in their 20s? Maybe even teenagers. I don't know. Maybe because they were wide open. Why didn't he grab a bunch of 50-year-olds who had well-accomplished businesses and careers? I mean, he discipled plenty of them. But he built the church. Get this. He built the church. Not to be insulting, I'm out of this category too. I'm in my 30s. He built the church on young people. And he literally established the movement of salvation through all of history on what the time he had spent with a group of teenagers and 20-somethings. First of all, this should make us recognize that youth are capable. Amen? Are they problems? Yes. Look at yourself. Are you a problem? Yes. Okay, go back. You just got to reflect. But youth are so capable. Like, like they are dying in our culture, but it's because they don't have revelation. Just like your neighbors, just like people at the grocery store. You see this as you walk through the world, right? Like people are souls walking without like true life and they're dying. At least I see it everywhere I go. Like what are people living for? And then here we are and we have to literally be reminded by this book and by this book that we need to just stop and remember that we ourselves have a soul. I heard someone say to me, man, the point is reaching people. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what the point is? It's for you to know and delight in Jesus. Out of that type of category, that type of richness, I would love for you to reach people. But if you're just going to give them an exhausted, like, brain with a few truths that you've agreed to, that's not that exciting, honestly. Man, guys, I'm trying to figure this out. I didn't want to preach on it today. I didn't want to preach from this book in general because my prayer life is like 0.2%. 
and the battery's ticking a little bit, you know, like it's shouting at me. And I'm trying to learn. I feel like I'm just getting started. But I do know that I have spent a good chunk of the Christian life neglecting the prayer life. And I've produced a lot of things, but who knows that my energy levels went down and down over the years. Until finally I said, Lord, I'm actually desperate for you. And he said, I know you always were, but you found other things to live off of. How much of your ministry did you do in dependence upon the flesh? How much of your ministry did you do in dependence upon caffeine and cortisol stress hormone? I'm like, yeah, kind of a lot. I think I'm preaching off that this morning, Lord. Yes, you are a Christian. Listen to two verses, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, take that deep breath. Hallelujah. And look at this. And raised us up with him. Raised us up with him. Past tense. Seated us. He's already done this. Seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, I want you to see this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know why God saved you? If you consider yourself a saved person, a born-again person, someone who knows uh, knows that salvation is in you. You're like, I know where I'm going. Guess why God did that for you? Said he could just show you his kindness forever. He was like, man, I'd love to take Susie and just like show her, like delight her. I'd love for her to just be overwhelmed with the richness of God for the next, you know, 13 billion millennia, trillion years. Why did I put Simon in the position he did? Was it to please the congregation with a good worship sound? No, actually, I just, I just needed Simon to, like, step up and do something, but that's only based in my love for him. Like, I want to spend forever just, like, showing Simon how completely interested I am in him personally. How rich, how good is our God? So now listen to one more scripture, Luke 7, 36 to 38. You've heard it before, but please, can we imagine this? One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He's talking about Jesus. He asked Jesus over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Okay, interesting. Like a super religious, hypocrite, kind of terrible potential person, the Pharisees, invites Jesus over for dinner, and he's like, mm-mm, I know your type. I'm not coming. No, he's like, I'm not afraid of you. He goes right over there. He's like, you need to be saved too. He goes to that house. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. Can you imagine? Would you be willing to walk in front of the most religious, like, I mean, they were wearing robes back then, right? Like, probably tall hats, okay? Like, walk in front of the most religious group of people at their house, at their dinner party that you are not invited to, they all know what your past is. You go in front of them, right to the feet of Jesus. You don't pay attention to anyone else in the room. You go to Jesus, and you start just weeping on his feet. And you're using your hair. If you got no hair, guys, I don't know, like your shirt or something. But, you know, like maybe your face. You're just like wiping your snotty face on his feet. And he's like, I don't think they're getting more clean right now, but I get what you're doing. It's like just wiping white tears. And she's brought this expensive perfume. Imagine selling your house to buy a bottle of perfume. That's how much this costs. She breaks it. She pours the perfume on his feet. She's just sitting there showing what? Love and adoration to her Savior. And does anyone else matter in that moment? 
Do you think this is a saved woman? Heck yes, actually. Not because she was a sinner, but because she loved Jesus. Because she saw that the door was open. Finally, there's a way in. Oh, she says, I have a soul and it's not satisfied. I have a soul and I'm sick of being dead. I tried all this other stuff. They've hated me for it, but they're just as bad. Where am I supposed to go? Oh, hallelujah, I see a way out. His name is Jesus. I'm going to pour my tears on his feet. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says, because she got in the gospel for the rest of history, they tell this story of this woman. So can you imagine, would you do that? I'm like, I'm not sure that I would. I think I care too much what people think. No, 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 wait. I think I'm too busy. No, 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 wait. I think I got a family to attend to. No, 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 wait. I have pleasures. I have satisfactions that I need to spend my time on. Man, the list goes on. There are so many reasons not to be this woman. But guess what this woman was doing? Being kind to her what? Her soul. This is like the most kindness to the soul that I have ever seen in scriptures. I was preparing for this sermon the last few weeks. I saw this story and I was like, wow, there's a woman being kind to her soul. Doesn't look good. It's good for who she is. Okay, surrendering the self-life, number two. The self was never meant to be master. And when we make it so, we fall prey to a thousand hellions. Can you just read that for a second and think about it? This is a quote from John Eldridge here. I'm going to put Matthew 16 on the screen, and you're going to know it, and you're not going to like it. None of us like this. I don't like this. But I want you to hear it fresh. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, if anyone, do I have any anyones? If anyone. Any person. But there's an if. It's like, hey, does anyone want to do this? Honestly? If anyone would come after me, Jesus, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Let her take up her cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. He says, no matter what you do to save it, you're just going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a profit man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? There's an obvious answer here, right? Like, not a really rhetorical question. Like, what will it profit you if you give up everything and you lose everything in the process? What, will, what gain do you have? What could you give in trade to get your soul back? You know the movies where someone, like, makes a deal with the devil and, like, signs over their soul? I don't think that's a real thing. I hope it's not. But ultimately, like, we've all done it a little bit. That's the human story. We're like, yeah, Satan, we'll try your way. Like this whole self-willed, self-governed, self-run thing. I like it. Sign me up. And God's like, do you know what you're doing to yourself right now? We're like, yeah, but it kind of feels good. And God's like, please, if you want to come with me, deny yourself. You're like, deny myself? He says, yes, deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up my cross? Excuse me? The instrument of torture? I think uh, this is a word for the church today. It's probably always a word for the church, but maybe especially today in our day. Uh, the church is known for being a little bit lukewarm today and like 
I don't think, I'm not trying to like put weight on our shoulders. I'm more just trying to say like, hey, there's a reason we're so flustered and frustrated and like not sure what to do with ourselves. It's called like, wow, we need to enter into peace in Jesus again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Notice who he told this to, his disciples. You know what disciples are? Truth seekers, not comfort seekers. Fundamentally, a disciple is not a comfort seeker. A disciple is someone who has said, look, I'm going to have to put something before comfort. It's going to have to be truth. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to follow. So therefore, I'm going to have to start giving things up. Fundamentally, that's the basic truth of being a disciple. I'm terrible at this. I don't know what to tell you. Why am I preaching on it? Because it's in Scripture, and I want us to do this together. Listen to a quote from C.S. Lewis. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. Right? If you search after truth, you might actually find yourself being comforted. If you look for comfort, you will get neither comfort nor peace. We are famous self-pleasers. The human race, we must be a spectacle to the whole universe. How good we are at pleasing ourselves in ignorance of the God of the universe. We make the Lord a means to our end. Christians too, right? Like, like I remember how many times I've sat with the Lord and as soon as he gave me the right ideas for the sermon, peace, I'm out, see you later, Lord. And he's like, did you actually love me or did you just want to preach a good sermon? Like countless times, you guys. Like if you come and pat me on the back, good sermon, like just pause your hand and instead pull it back and be like, Lord, help his soul. Like just pray for me. Because if it was a good sermon, I probably didn't spend enough time with the Lord. I should probably be preaching bad sermons up here because I was so obsessed with Jesus that I wasn't ready when I got up on stage. Instead, I'm obsessed with being ready for you guys with a really good sermon. It's like a weird thing that we do. If anyone, let him deny himself. So what does that mean? This is visceral. It means deny my will, deny my rightness. Deny my stubbornness. Deny my insistence. I was arguing with a family member before Christmas. Anyone do this at Christmas time? Argue with family members? Am I the only one? Come on. Come on. I was arguing. And there was clearly moments in the conversation to everyone in the room where each of us was wrong. But because the other one was wrong sometimes, I kept going. And guess how I felt afterwards? Embarrassed. Because I was giving in to something that had nothing to do with love. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It's called my flesh. It's like this internal, insistent stubbornness, right? My self-life. Listen, uh, listen to John Eldritch. And by the way, we're about to get our faces melted off. If you already think I'm preaching a little bit, this is going to be preaching. Here we go. This is John Eldritch. Here's a quote on the personal life. He says, this is, can you go ahead? This is the hidden danger I spoke of, the stubborn life of the self. The exalted me. Can you guys just humor me and put your hands up and say, the exalted me. Oh, man, we can relate, can't we? Unsubmitted and unsurrendered to the rule of Christ in me. Over time, throughout our lives, the self stakes out its own territory within us to assure getting its own way, ordering our world to its liking. It wants things done our way, so it's continually making demands because, of course, our demands are perfectly reasonable and justified. The self-life doesn't like being interrupted, cut off on the freeway. Oh, man, told what to do or how to do things. Anybody relating? 
Okay, we're going to keep going. Watch out. Next one. The church self. Uh Uh-oh. This isn't a matter of Christian and non-Christian. The self-life has a religious version. It gets irritated when a prayer time goes longer than we think it should. It feels wrong when church services run late. I'm sorry about that. And it doesn't particularly enjoy worship. Oh, that hit me so hard. That is me literally sitting in one of these front pews. How many times? And I'm like, I'm just not feeling it today, Lord. Okay, is the Holy Spirit not feeling worship? Or is Christian Eikovic, the punky little soul, not feeling worship? It doesn't particularly enjoy worship. Pause for a second. Why would something not enjoy worship? Why would a human being created in the image of God not enjoy worship? Because what does worship involve? Somebody else, someone beyond us, someone completely who undoes us and remakes us. The self waits to be asked during small group how we are doing. It's so good. And it feels righteously irritated when someone else takes too long talking about their life. The self-life hasn't given a thought about the return of Christ because it's totally focused on the here and now. Okay? One more, and this is going to take it out of some of our hands, but it's, it's just timing. This also explains the moral scandals in Christian leadership. This is so hard. There's a holdout of the self-life in them. Somewhere along the way, that self said, it's time for something for me. I deserve to have this. And they have an affair or embezzle funds. Some of these leaders may have been serving all those years out of genuine union with Christ, but a big part of their act was actually fueled by the self-life, and it eventually took them down. The self is not to be toyed with. It is ancient. It goes back to Adam. It goes back to our first parents, and it is satanic. Now, I'm not saying you as a human being, everything about you is satanic. I'm talking about the selfish part of you, the part of you that would choose yourself over God, and then as a result, also choose yourself over other people. Tracking? The self is wild and dangerous in what it'll do to other people. We love to crucify the ones who get public attention for what they've done, but we all do it. And I think sometimes people get put into leadership positions, we know this, who shouldn't have been there. Because they hadn't learned to crucify their self, they just learned to perform. Man, I am terrified to be up on this stage. I'm terrified to lead in some ways. Not terrified, I love it, don't get me wrong, but terrified because I need to crucify the self a bit more. Like it has such a hold in me. Is John Eldridge hitting home here? Take up his cross, Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross. Think about the disciples. They didn't necessarily know what that meant. They hadn't seen Jesus die on the cross yet. All they saw was when they walked through the villages and towns, they saw these big, awful wooden things with people hung on them that had died. It's called the cross. They were up on top of hills on display. It was the way the Romans like put fear into people. Hey, do you want to be humiliated and put to shame in front of everybody, tortured and die? then don't cross us. And Jesus says, take up that cross, follow me. We're going to go die together. 
Now, what do we know he was talking about? Is it going to be some of our lives in this room? It's possible. But for sure, what is it for every person in this room? The South Rock. Whew. So I got a group of people in this room that are invited to go up the hill behind Jesus and die. And it would be easy if it was like a one-time thing. But it keeps happening over and over and over. In the ancient world, the cross was a strategic instrument of torture, humiliation, and death. This is the end of my way. This is the literal end of my comfort. This is the little end of my pleasure, my way. This is the literal end of my survival. This is the loss of control. Is anybody reeling a little bit or like annoyed right now? Like where is the hope in the Christian walk? But I think what I have done often in my past is I have preached hope in a way that's really easy and doesn't actually call for much of a soul life, much of a spiritual life. I think we're invited to the type of hope that is bought for us by the blood of a Savior on a cross, and then it takes us deep, deep, deep. It calls for more and for more and for more of us, but not in a way that makes us like more and more boring and more and more of a problem and more and more like a religious kind of weighty baggage person, but actually makes us lighter and freer and truer and more ourselves. Like I want a hope that is like so strong. Like I want to have joy every single day, not because of how I feel, but because of what the Lord has done for me. Like, I want to step into this type of soul life. So here's a, here's a question for you. What does your usual kind of fight against sin look like? Here's my usual fight. My, my wife drew a picture for me. I think you got it up on the screen here. Super repenter. I'm going to beat sin. We got this, Lord. Dot, 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 dot. Defeat. Right? When I first repent, it's like, Lord, Never again. Lord, we got this. Lord, we're going to push through. Lord, we're going to come on. And then, like, fast forward, and at some point, I'll be sitting there just saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I did it again. Man, I'm exhausted. Like, what do I do with this Christian life? What do I do with this walk with you? Because I am confident that I'm a disappointment. I definitely won't disappoint you guys. I'll try not to disappoint Lyd. There's a good chance I will. You know who I will disappoint on the regular? The Lord. He'll just forgive me. Here we go. Can I ask here, has anyone been in a fight? Anyone ever been in a fight in their life? I got one kid raising his hand. No one else? Okay. You ever been in a fight that you knew you could win? Okay, that's one thing. Has anyone ever been in a fight that you knew you could lose or you probably would lose? Would you enter that fight? I'm talking physical. Would you enter that fight for your family? Would you enter that fight for your country? Would you enter that fight for Jesus? And so then you're like, all right, Jesus, yeah, let's do it. Let's fight. We're going to fight against this thing. Like, like where do, where's my enemy? You're looking around the room, looking around the room. Where's my enemy? Stand up. Who's my enemy? I'm ready. And then you see Jesus. And he says, I'm your enemy. You're like, what? Because I'm your enemy. I'm the opponent. I'm the one you've been fighting against the whole time. 
What I was inviting you to every day was surrender, was to cease resistance, was to lay down your weapons. It says, I want to do in you what you don't think is possible. What is the definition of surrender? Laying down weapons. So Christians talk about surrender. Has anyone ever heard the term surrender before? Christians out there? Have you heard the term surrender? What does surrender mean? It means you have an opponent and you stop fighting them. So why have like these Christian greats across history used this term? Because they figured out that they were just battling the flesh the whole time, using the tools of the flesh and ending up exhausted. And John Eldritch, with this invitation, says, instead of just trying to fight the self-life, instead, could we surrender it? Could we surrender this battle against sin that we're never going to win, and instead, could we start to let some of the fresh air of the Lord into the room? What is kindness? Check this out. You can't make this up. I looked at the definition. It's being compassionate. It's being merciful. It's being selfless. If you're going to be kind to your soul, you got to be a little less self in the process. you got to literally look at yourself in the mirror and say, what would be good for my soul in the coming days? Right? Like, no more, no more just like whatever my impulse demands of me. No more whatever people demand of me. What would be good for my soul? Not just pleasing myself. I get it. I've tried it. What would be good for my soul? And then do that thing. Does that make sense? Like, figure out that you have a soul. Figure out how to be kind to it and start to do those things. Start to feel the invitation. I want you to listen to the woman at the well again. Or the woman, sorry, washed his feet. Can you put that back up there? Luke 7, 36 through 38. Okay, I'll just read it to you. She went to the, to the uh, actually I won't read it to you because i got to look it up. We'll skip it. Long story short, the woman goes, she washes his feet. She's sitting there pouring out her tears, right? You know what Jesus does? He turns to her and he says to her, uh, your sins are forgiven. You guys remember this? Your sins are forgiven. And you know what everyone in the room starts doing? Gossiping, talking. They're frustrated. They're mad at this situation. Can you go to the next one? He ignored them and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you guys look at me for a second? God will effectively ignore everyone in your life who refuses to let you go down this soul life if you're willing to follow him. Right? Like you could be like, oh, Lord, what about? He'll be like, I'm not concerned about them. I'm concerned about you. You're like, oh, Lord, but what about this thing? He's like, I'm not worried about it. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. I want your heart. I want your attention. Can we play a video here? I think this is us. I want us to close with this thought. This is us when it comes to self-life. You got the video for me? You guys might have seen this before. That's you and that's me sitting in that chair. We're getting ready. We're like, yeah, Lord, send me. Wait, wait. Second thought. Safety off. 
Okay, just leave it there. Leave it there. You guys, that is your soul when you come to Jesus. You're in free fall, right? Like, the blood has washed you clean. Like, around you, people are dying, and you're like, all I got to do is tell them about Jesus. Like, like in your midst of your life, like, you're letting him down again and again. But you're in free fall. You're like, this is the best thing ever. But what does our self do? It holds on. It clings. It's like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Don't send me. No, 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 no. Like, we are silly people. The thing about the woman who washed his feet, she was being kind to her soul. She had decided what she needed, and she went and got it. The thing about the woman who was washing his feet, she had surrendered the self-life. She wasn't listening to all the other voices in the room. She went to one person, and she got her healing. Guess what? The thing about the woman who washed his feet, she put Jesus on a throne in front of everybody. So we're going to invite worship team up, and we're going to do a little activity. And this is an invitation to you. We've spent four weeks talking about these different disciplines, and I've got them splayed out on the tables up here. Uh, you can see them on the screen. So go back, pause, look at them, remember what they were, if you can. Think about them. Was there one or two that you connected to? What we're going to do is with the lights down and kind of the worship team leading, we're going to invite you guys to come forward if you want to and take one of these, maybe two. But at least one, I'd say, if you want to, that you are going to commit yourself to in order to be kind to yourself. Right? I'm going to start doing this thing. I'm going to start practicing this to be kind to myself. And at the same time, it's going to surrender a little bit. It's going to cost me something. But that's okay. Can you picture these? Believe. Man, I need to start believing the Lord, not myself. Memory, I need to start reflecting on his goodness. Surrender, the one-minute pause. I need to just start taking a dang minute every once in a while with the Lord. Allowing for transitions, I need to start creating space in my calendar, space in my schedule. Grieving your losses. Man, I have been on autopilot since blank happened. I need to stop and grieve my losses. Simple unplugging. I need to take time with my phone off or not on the computer or not with the TV on. Benevolent detachment. I need to start saying no to people, letting them not be the most important thing in my life, saying no to things that I'm addicted to. Remembering who you love. I need to come back and remember that there's someone that I love and his name is Jesus and he's everything and why am I choosing everything else? Kindness towards ourselves. We just talked about it. Hopefully you got it. I don't know. Kindness towards ourselves is the idea that literally you're going to recognize that you have a soul and you're going to do what you need to for it. Surrendering the self-life is just actually saying... I don't need this more than I need Jesus. So if we bring lights down during this worship time, come on, come up and get one of these. But I want it to be one that's between you and the Lord. It's the way you say to Jesus, hey, I'm going to commit to this practice. And it's not so that I can do one more thing. It's so that I can give up some things. And I can literally just start prioritizing an open heart towards the Lord. Prioritize and surrender. So. Lord, uh, we thank you, uh, we love you, we look to your name above all names, and here we are in free fall, man, like our sins are forgiven, like heaven is open, there's nothing standing in the way except our sin, and the sin got paid for on the cross. Here we are in free fall, and the old self-life is saying, wait, 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 let me tell you something, let me tell you something, no, 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 I have something for you, let me bargain, don't do this. And we say, sorry, bro, I'm done with it. Sorry, old man Adam. Sorry, old woman Eve. Sorry, old self. I'm new. I'm ready. 
Lord, I need to spend more time with you. Let that be an invitation. Pray over every soul, every heart in this room that we have what we need, that we have joy, we have peace. We pray it comes from your blood that was shed over us. Thank you for the invitation to surrender the self-life and to be kind to our souls. In Jesus' name we just said, amen.
Shake up the ground of all my tradition Break down the walls of all my religion Your way is better Your way is better Shake up the ground of all my tradition Break down the walls of all my religion Your way is better 